after about three years, I started considering how can this end expand and what would be the, the hallmarks of that expansion. So I eventually was able to identify certain locations that I felt worked. So you, what you want to do is find a place where there's a lot of loving cyclists that are passionate. And in that place, it avails to us the opportunity to build a course that's unique to that particular location and then work with people in that community to build it so that that community actually gets to inform what their BWR experience is using the formula that I offer. Um, but basically it's finding passionate people in a passionate cycling community that can create a great course together and then build that brand and unfurl our flag there and then have it be an annual event that the community can rally behind. KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor. And on this episode, founder of Belgian Waffle Ride, Mr. Michael Marks. Now, we've been talking about Belgian Waffle Ride quite a bit in the last month or so, especially with the announcement of a new race here in Michigan. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I sat down with John Holberg, race director of the Michigan um, Belgian Waffle Ride, and he was cool enough to connect me with Michael. And Michael started Belgian Waffle Ride over 10 years ago um, and kind of came up with this crazy idea of this mixed surface road cycling slash gravel cycling slash single track um, race out of San Diego and has expanded it all over the country and now we hear uh, in different parts of the world as well. With all of this expansion and um, increasing popularity within the last couple years, um, I was super interested in the history um, from the perspective of Michael, and then to get to know a little bit more about the brand and the model that is Belgian Waffle Ride, which we talk a lot about in this interview, and I think is very unique for um, off-road cycling races. Now, I will be heading to Utah in a couple weeks, um, mid-September for BWR Utah, and Michael also gives me a little bit of a preview of that course for this year. So if you are happening to, uh, if you are planning on racing BWR Utah, it might be worthwhile to listen in and see what Michael has to say about that route as well. Um, and uh, one more thing before we get to the interview, um, if you are listening to this the day it comes out, uh, I think you still have time to use the code Michigander for a, uh, a discount 
of uh, Belgian Waffle Ride Michigan. So if you're thinking about signing up for that, now is the time and use code Michigander for that discount. Um, And we talk a little bit more about that in this episode as well. So uh, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing everything about Belgian Waffle Ride. And let's get right to it. Michael Marks, founder of Belgian Waffle Ride. Michael, thank you for, uh, it seems like you've had a, I mean, I, I'm guessing you're busy all the time, but it's, it's early morning for you right now, right? You're like, is it 8 a.m.? Yeah, normally I would just be finishing the group ride right around now. Ah, man. But you were in, in meetings, though, not a group ride. I was in uh, meetings, you know, at 7 a.m. about BWR and other places. Oh, man. Um, isn't that the thing, though? Like, you want to be out. You're building something about your passion that takes you away from your passion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The busier yeah. you get, the the less amount of time you have to devote to riding or to doing these these things that actually pushed you to create what you created in the first place. Yeah, you you need to to hang on to that balance, right? Where that activity that you love um is still woven into your personal and professional life in a productive way. Um, so I find that if I get up early and do the group rides, then it's done. If I don't, it makes it very hard to get out and ride the rest of the day because I'm so busy. Oh, absolutely. And so you're, you are able to kind of find that balance then. Um, it sounds like I've been clinging to it. Uh, the last month has been challenging, but in general, I can get in, you know, 300 miles, 250 to 350 miles a week. Oh goodness. Holy moly. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty good. It probably like, where are you in San Diego area right now? Is that your like location? Yeah. Most of the time I'm in San Diego and then we have another place in NorCal that we spent a lot of time at in Monterey. So my guess is the cycling infrastructure in terms of community, in terms of uh, roads, in terms of weather is very helpful in that um, weather. You know, Weather. Yeah, wet weather, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's got the weather going for him. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you both for, for joining me on this. Um, you just heard John. John, we just talked to John about BWR Michigan a couple weeks ago, and we got the details about that specific and a new BWR that's, that's going to be coming up in October. And I thought it'd be great if we talked to you, Michael, kind of looking at BWR more holistically in a, in a, in a bigger sense than just a specific sense of Michigan. So thank you, John, for joining me. And thank you, Michael, for joining me. And Michael, can you, um, for the sake of this conversation, for the sake of the listeners, introduce yourself, who you are and, uh, and, and why we're talking to you? (laughs) Sure. Um, I'm Michael Marks. I founded the Belgian Waffle Ride about 12 years ago. Um, I was the CEO and, and president of Spy Optic. Uh, we made eyewear for cycling, for lifestyle, you know. 
motocross goggles, snow goggles. And I wanted to create an event that emoted the brand personality through bikes, which was, let's have it be a funny name. Let's have it be really hard. Let's have it be a party. Um, and so the brand was born, BWR. And um, essentially at the time, I was, uh, I had a UCI pro card to race cross, but I'm Belgian and I love long, hard races. So I thought, why don't I put those things together? Let's have a six or seven hour cross race. Uh, invite all of our best friends and cycling buddies, throw a party and then tell them if they like it, let everyone know. And so the next year we had a lot of people that wanted to do it and then it just kept doubling in size. Um, I think the idea of racing on the road and then doing faux pave back on the road, then back into single track, back on the road, back into faux pave was alluring enough to people. And then this thing called gravel uh, was born soon thereafter. And that sort of fit in with what we were doing. We're not, some of our races are maybe have more asphalt than the unroad or gravel stuff, but a lot of them now have, Kansas has more than 90% gravel. Uh, Cedar City is 85% gravel, but we still like to have the hallmark of you're on the road, you're on single track, you're on double track, you're on varying multi-surface terrain all the time. So it's never ending changing of the dynamic of the race. So uh, that's what we're doing. And now we're bringing them to really cool places like Traverse City. Yeah, fantastic. Um so I, I love how the multi-surface was an aspect from the beginning. And like you said, then gravel started, you know, a few years after that, just booming and becoming like the, the, the hit thing and the, and the big term. But uh, you're, you, that wasn't really a, a thing when you started, right? Like gravel wasn't, it, you couldn't buy a gravel specific bike. That, that, that it wasn't even heard of. No. You, you uh, we, we used our road bikes and put 25s or maybe 28s on the road bike and then just abuse the hell out of the bikes. Some people had cross bikes, so you could use the cross bike, but cross bike gearing is a bit weird and wasn't ideal. So people had to start tinkering with um, the gearing ratios that they had and the, you know, what what that bike could avail to them in terms of a full spectrum of of gearing options um and then the gravel thing started to happen and then people had all these choices now there's a million choices and some people still use a road bike with 28s for the san diego event um whereas cedar city or Asheville, you minimum you got to have 40 millimeter tires and even even recently i think we've seen um we're going to be jumping all around, but like only a couple years ago, Stetna won uh, San Diego on 28s on a riding like a Trek. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, whatever it was, I don't know. But then, but then this year, Alexi won it on, on basically a road bike, but he's, I think he squeezed in forties in there. So you have like a totally, it's still kind of road geometry idea, but um, two totally different, um, approaches to the same kind of race. Yeah, I was amazed that he used those 40s because that's by far the widest tire any winner 
has ever used. And I was on the course with them the whole time. And um, he put in a definitive attack that was spectacular. Like it was like a Remco attack. <laughs> and um, I watched it all unfold. And then he just went on to, to dominate the last 30 plus miles of the race after that attack. But on 40 millimeter tires on the road, he managed to do that. He was incredibly strong that day. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you began, you said you wanted the original race to be several hours, um, encompassing multiple terrains. Um, and I, right now, currently, it seems like the sweet spot for a BWR event is like is over a hundred miles. So you're sitting at like what, like one. 20 to 150 or something like that um yeah one 120 ish to 145 is it is that is are you trying to reach a certain distance or are you trying to reach other key things like elevation um john i'm gonna bring you into this so this is a brand new course in michigan um what were the criteria? What criteria did Michael give you that you had to meet when creating the BWR Michigan course? Yeah, when I first met Michael, uh, I was telling him how awesome the, the, the course was, especially for a first year event down in North Carolina. And uh, he's a perfectionist. I remember him rolling his eyes like, really? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's really impressive. Um, and uh, looking at the course and everything too, talking about the mix of terrain, I remember asking him like, so are you pretty much going more after a Harry Roubaix style racing instead of trying to mimic, you know, just a long gravel race? And he said, absolutely, that's it. So when, when you look at the Perry roubaix and you see the mix, like Michael explained earlier, um, we have a really good place to do that here in Traverse City. We have beautiful roads that, get you off, you know, big, busy highways. And we have those, uh, mix of trail two track and single track to, to splice in there. So, so, and then with those terrains, were, were you trying, uh, John, were you trying to find a, a good 150 miles or ish, or are you trying to get elevation? I guess, I guess this is what I'm trying yeah. to get at. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I Elevation's always been a struggle for me because uh, there's no elevation in uh, Belgium. Right, right, right. There's these little <laughs> birds. So I always wanted it to be short, punchy stuff, but it just, it's um, not reasonable. I, I, I clinged to that idea in San Diego for so many years. And then finally, I added this spectacular 11 mile dirt climb uh, up a mountain. And that changed the complexion for San Diego. But ideally, it's it's not about seeking some elevation. The elevation just ends up being what it is when you attempt to put together those multi-terrain elements into one seamless course. And then you go, oh, it's 6,000 feet or it's 12,000 feet. There isn't a mandate on that. The mandate is on the multiple terrain and having something that's very dynamic so you're constantly switching between road, gravel, single track, double track, it's, it's got to be ever-changing. Right. And I will uh, attest to um, the, the course, the first year, um, North Carolina, 
Uh, I rode that as well, and I, I loved that course. And it was a lot of pavement. There was, a, there was a lot of paved sections, but those paved sections I thought were amazing. I mean, you're, you're climbing these big windy climbs or, or bombing oh, these yeah. smooth descents, and oh, it was, it was great. And then all of a sudden, um, John, what was the one? We were climbing. It was a pretty rough – oh, man, it was like the, the roughest part. And you, Mountain. you get up at the top, and it's, it, there was like bacon and everything, and then you descended this chunky – chunky descent and it was carnage everywhere <laughs> everyone yeah. like uh, water i lost my water bottles twice on that descent yeah <laughs> yeah it was yeah that was i mean and so all of a sudden you have some of the smoothest most beautiful descents and then the one of the most chunkiest descents i've ever done um on a gravel ride uh it was, it was such a cool experience um and then i'm thinking like michigan has that especially up there up north in the Traverse City area it has that potential of some of the greatest paved roads um, in the state or in the Midwest and then um, also you're right near a lot of two track a lot of single track a lot of those types of sections so I think it makes a lot of sense to have to to uh, to, to, to have one of the events events up there um, what were the distances when you first started 12 years ago? I mean, was it plus 100 plus or were, was it shorter yeah. than that? It was, okay. It was uh, 120 to begin with, and then it migrated to include more and more dirt. We got up to 146 one year, kind of settled in the 137-ish realm here in San Diego. What, the, what did your your friends feel about, I mean, I mean, how big was the first event that you put on uh, official or unofficial when you first did the, how many people were there? It was invite only. There was 136 people I invited that started 118 of which finished. Okay. So, I mean, that's a decent number for a, for a first year. Um, what, what, were there things like this going on or, no. were people like, what, what is this uh, Michael guy thinking and taking us for, you know, I'm sure people did a lot of like hundred mile road centuries, but something so dynamic and different terrains, like there was nothing like that at the time, right? No, no. Yeah. That's what, that's what you know, compelled people is, wow, this kind of captured their imagination. Like, what can you put your road bike through? What, what, what can a road, a road bike do? Um, and we really found out that they can take a lot. Do you think uh, the spirit of the race um, is changing with the change of bike technology and the specific – so now you can get a, a specific bike that seems like it was built specifically for a Belgian waffle ride. Um, does that totally change the spirit of like how hard can I ride my road bike, you know? Is that kind of getting away from what you wanted it to be in the first place? Um, well, the answer is yes, but you have to evolve with the times. I, I'd like to think in small part, gravel bikes were developed because of events like the BWR and their popularity and the marketplace or the industry saw the opportunity and started developing these things. Um, so you, you evolve. And so how our events have evolved is we make the courses that much more challenging from a from a technical point of view like you mentioned the chunkiness of the descent 
Um, whereas I wouldn't have been able to put some of those features into earlier courses had there not been the invention of gravel bikes. Now that we have gravel bikes, we can take people crazy places. Yeah, kind of like kind of like how mountain biking started when we were uh, taking modified road bikes with BMX brakes and uh, <laughs> and wide, wider tires from God knows what. <laughs> you know, it's just it's cool to be part of an evolution. Yeah, definitely. John, when did you have you done you've done San Diego, right? Yeah. How many times? One time. Only one time. Okay. And is that a recent recent uh, race or Yeah, I just uh did this this uh this last year. Okay. Okay. So you had a pretty modern bike um to to tackle that course. Yeah, I was I was on uh a gravel bike. I wasn't on a, a road bike with 28 tires. Okay. No. <laughs> and I think you and I talked about this last time, but, uh, 28 tires would not be the, the, the way to go for a BWR Michigan by any means. No, not, not at all. Similarly to what Michael mentioned about, you know, Kansas and North Carolina, I think, uh, 40 C is probably the recommended size at a, at a minimum. You wouldn't want to mu go, go much, Go much less than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, when you, so you, you start this crazy journey um, as uh, wanting to create, I mean, you said it yourself, and I think this is pretty interesting. It, it started as uh, creating a brand and, yeah. and that brand kind of built the experience. And so I, I, I feel like, there was something in the back of your mind that said, this isn't going to be focused on one specific place. A brand is, is bigger than that. So when did you start thinking about pushing this or expanding this into areas that weren't just California? Uh, after about three years, I started considering how, how can this end expand and what would be the, the hallmarks of that expansion? So I eventually was able to identify certain locations that I felt worked. So you, what you want to do is find a place where there's a lot of loving cyclists that are passionate. And in that place, it avails to us the opportunity to build a course that's unique to that particular location and then work with people in that community to build it so that that community actually gets to inform what their BWR experience is using the formula that I offer. So the, the, the brand started to expand into one place and to, to another. And then, you know, every other day I get a call or an email from somebody that wants to bring the BWR to their town. So we're working on Europe right now We've added Canada for next year. Yeah, we're saw that. Mexico. Um, we're looking at Arizona. I spent some time in Reno, Tahoe, uh, meeting with the city there and writing what they have on offer. Um, but basically, it's finding passionate people in a passionate cycling community that can create a great course together and then build that brand and unfurl our flag there and then have it be an annual event that the community can rally behind. Yeah, I, I, 
I'm interested in this mo- model because it's it's unique to this um, unpaved type of racing in the United States right now. Um, and I'm sorry if I refer to the grout like you push putting you in the gravel. Uh, that's fine. Category. <laughs> we, we, we straddle the fence between road and gravel. Sure. But um, I, I'm seeing what, what seems to be the, the popular thing is uh, events built around a certain place, which makes sense. You know, like come experience the roads of um, Emporia. Come experience the roads of... Um, Oklahoma, you know, or the mm-hmm. unpaved, yeah, yeah, the, the the gravel, and and then you're going to that specific place to experience the the terrain and everything, but also the the race itself. Now, Belgian Waffle Ride, it seems like you are not only bringing people to a certain area to experience that, but it's it is experiencing the brand that came out of what you've built. So there's a yeah. there's a two there's a it's a it's a kind of a double thing you can experience the brand that everyone else is experiencing all over the country but you can do that in a specific way where wherever you're bringing that now yeah like i grew up where my mom would make waffles every weekend we were all athletes so there's six people in our family I ran my first marathon when I was 12, which isn't saying much because my brothers did it when they were eight and nine. (laughs) Um, I did my first road race on the bike when I was 12. My parents were avid cyclists. All of us were marathon runners. Um, We ate waffles and my dad liked to share beer with us. So at the age of 13, I was having a beer at dinner and we would go to breweries when we would travel and my dad was always really proud of our our Belgian Flemish heritage. So it was just always a part of my life experience. And it made it easy for me to want to create this Americanized version of the Belgian experience through the prism of a one day spring classic. So the hallmarks or the you know the signatures of the event is everyone eats waffles before and after. Um, it's a really hard day on the bike. You come back and you celebrate. Maybe your waffle has ice cream on it after you finish, or you're having Belgian frites and you're pounding Belgian ale. And your trophy is a 750 milliliter bottle of a badass ale. Um, that's, those are elements of the brand. Then there's other elements like the voice of the brand. So if you ever read the communications I send out, there's a certain irreverence to it. It's it's meant to be funny, but also kind of scaring people at the same time. Like, yeah, sure, this is really fun. You sign up to do this thing and you think it's just like doing a century. Well, it's really not. You should probably maybe defer to next year after you get more training or just quit now. Or maybe you should downgrade to the wafer. So there's always this tension uh, between funny and serious. And that's part of the brand spirit or the brand personality. And then the voice is just something I've kept kept consistent for the last twelve years, and and that's the I think the unique uh, aspect that um, that you that people can experience in a Belgian waffle ride now all over the place. Um, and yeah, you said there's a, t- a tension there because it is you're getting you're you're getting to the race start 
an hour or two early, you're stuffing your face with with waffles, you get beer at the end, but then uh, we've seen and witnessed some of the best competitive racing that's gone on um, in the United States in the last few years at Belgian waffle rides. Um, so you kind of, I mean, you have people like me that can go and just have a great time and, you know, be overcarbed at the start line. Uh, and, but also you, you have the, these other stories of um, people really hashing it out at the, at the, at the front. Do you, yeah. uh, do you, we're seeing right now something unique this year with the Lifetime series. And I'm wondering, is there any, are you approaching anything differently when you're seeing now um, a, a series where professional athletes, professional cyclists um, are competing in, in, a, in, a, in a wider range of just a single, these single events or picking single events? Um, how does something like Belgian Waffle Ride outside of that um, react to that? Or do you feel like you need to react to that? Or just like you're just staying the course? How do you... How do you feel about the whole lifetime thing, or, or, or uh, maybe you don't have to talk about lifetime, but like how, you know how? Well, I think we can use the lifetime equation uh, as a touch point, and what I mean by that is they they created this great prize purse for um, a certain small list of people that they chose. Um, so that part's kind of weird, um, but those people are all our friends and some of them are going to win some good money, which is really great. Um, but for us, we're going to keep doing exactly what we're doing and not respond to that. And one of those things is we want to make sure that everyone has a world-class experience. And, you know, sometimes we fall short on that because the last rider didn't make it to the final aid station or a few of them, didn't make it to the cutoff and then they're disappointed. Those things are typically safety related, but in all in all, it's not just about the 40 athletes that are competing for $250,000. It's all the athletes that we want to give a great experience to. It's the mom, the, 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 the dad that, uh, you know, is a weekend warrior, but somehow can go out and finish this thing. We want to make sure that those people have a great experience. And that's, that's a big part of what BWR does and offers. Um, and I know John can attest to this because we're like, nope, you got to have more aid stations. Nope, you got to have more traffic control. No, it has to have more single track. You know, we're very fastidious about certain things, including safety and rider support. Yeah. Um, John, you and I kind of talked about this in the last uh, conversation, but... Um, you mentioned when you're when you're picking a location, one of the biggest things is um, the the local the support of the local community and the uh, uh, just the the input that they they have on the course and and on the event itself. Um, I'm assuming that. Well, I, I I won't say that. Have you have you received some pushback trying to expand? into different regions, different areas of the country, of the world. Um, are you receiving pushback from local races, local organizations, and saying, hey, this is kind of our turf? 
and then um and then kind of how have that how have you been dealing with with that if that ha- has happened yeah so uh the feedback has been super positive uh i can't tell you that the, this course is going to be venturing into a part of northern michigan that most cyclists even even here uh don't ride that much uh so i had the opportunity to take uh 15 people out uh last weekend including two very experienced uh female cyclists and um three of these folks came back and said this is their new favorite route of all time in michigan and and one of them was <laughs> was from uh it was someone you talked about last week um steve andres who's our single speed champion yeah just turned 50 and i don't think anyone can beat him in the state on a, on a single gear uh so Anyway, that was really humbling to hear, and uh, and that's something that's really important to me is is mixing in not just all the aspects that that Michael talked to the ingredients of you know what a good BWR is, but also um, you know what what makes this place special, and uh, and what can we do that's different? You know, can we cross a a, a section of road or a, a you know, maybe a, a creek that no one's ever ridden over before, you know? So grabbing some things like that, I think, uh, is what's going to make this event really special here in, in Traverse City. And, and John, I think that's important to have a local person like yourself kind of uh, taking that on and that aspect on and, and uh, kind of like the, the, the local uh, contact for, for the race. Um, it's, I think it's important for us, other locals to say, okay, so there's a, this isn't just a larger brand coming in that we're working together with local communities. Um, Michael, I mean, have you, have you received any pushback from not just Michigan or like not just, just as you are expanding, have you, have you had any difficulties with that? No, um, like you, you were in North Carolina. Um, I am friends with Matthew Boucher and John Murphy who live in the area. So th- they became our proxies there and help engage the community. I work exclusively, exclusively with them to build the routes uh, and to communicate with the different private landowners and parks and it's no different with John in Michigan. John is our proxy. He's our community member that we work through and take advice from on how to make sure that we engage the community in the most fulsome way that we can. So it always starts with a contact and people in an area to help build it rather than coming in and flexing your muscles and saying, hey, we got this big race. We're going to come on top of your local race or we're going to come into the community without any anyone welcoming us. It has to start with the community first. That's how this, this whole event in Michigan started with John's vision of bringing our flavor or our brand to your neighborhood and making something special of it for that community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I think that's good to hear from 
in, ter- in my perspective, that's a good thing to hear from John, that that's how that relationship is working. And now to hear from you, um, to know that that is kind of the model that ha- how you're treating that. Um, and, and I'm assuming that from here on out, as you're expanding more, you said, I mean, you just it was just released that uh, there's going to be a Canada BWR. You mentioned yeah, and that, that was the same way. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a race director up there named John Walken. And um, we have friends up there on Vancouver Island that have been for years wanting us to bring it. So we got a consortium together of, of vested parties to collaborate on what that would look like, where we do it, how we do it, how we engage the uh, officials at Canadian Cycling and how we build something holistically from a point of view of people living on that island or in BC in general. And it was born after a couple of years of finally coming, all the pieces coming together for something magnificent. We're really excited about that just as we're excited to be with you guys in October. Um, new experiences for us and new experiences for the, the denizens of your community. When you're looking to at at new regions to to expand into um do you have a cap in your mind of saying listen we're we can only handle 15 races a year and that's all we can do or as you grow as you expand races you grow as a as a brand as well so um do you do you actually have no cap you're just like let's bring it on let's 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 yeah our cap is um bandwidth related there's only a few of us that that's what i was wondering work yeah. on these events so if if someone saw the vision and what we're doing which they do uh more capital is provided to be able to build out the team and to be able to expand to 10 12 15. the other thing is uh when i was younger i i directed the hawaiian ironman when gatorade was the title sponsor so i worked with gatorade and I got to learn a lot about how the Ironman expanded and their their franchise business. So part of it is engaging with um, entities, large sports entities in other countries like we're doing in Mexico and having that agency be our proxy. And we work with them to present the brand well in their country. So that's it's sort of a two-pronged model. One is we manage everything with people like John and Matthew Boucher and John Murphy, or um, on more disparate and further out places, we work with an agency to achieve that. And that's more of a franchise model. Sure. So there's two parts to the business there. Yeah. This, I think I, I appreciate you answering these questions because I, I find the model very interesting and it's, I think it's unique in this, uh, at least in terms of gravel, um, that that type of racing right now, we're not really seeing anything quite like it. And um, I'm interested to see how that, how it, it, it builds and, um, and the, kind of the, the, how it's working behind the scenes. Um, and you mentioned John Murphy. I, I just need it like a couple years ago. Well, I guess it was last last year. It was the first North Carolina one, but I actually had John Murphy on on the podcast, and we talked about the route, and um, and that was before I went down in roads. So that was helpful to get 
um, a little bit of recon and know what I was getting myself into, um, before, yeah. before that day. Um, speaking of, uh, in a couple weeks, well, in about a month, I am jumping on a plane and heading to Utah and I will be doing, yes. um, Cedar city and I'm pretty excited about it, but I know, and I've seen that, um, the route is, can be, can get pretty gnarly and it's pretty climby, right? Um, what can you, what can you tell me a little bit about that route? So I'm not totally yeah. out of, out of sorts. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the throes of finishing the Bible for it right now. Oh, perfect. Um, which, uh, there's so much information, but for your edification, um, it's only 6,800 feet of climbing. Uh, over roughly 135 miles. Um, there's only one real challenging climb, which comes towards the end. It's about three miles up and it just ke keeps getting steeper and sandier. A lot of people end up walking their bike the last half a mile. Um, it, it, you know, like all, all BWRs, it, it has so many different facets to its personality. Um, there's a fair bit of road, but only like 15%, um, no real drastic climbs, but each sector has its own peculiarities. Like one part it's red dirt and, you know, really this colorful place through, um, a park. And then there's these 10 miles of, of undulating rolling gravel. And then there's another seven miles of uh basically truck trails there's there's a mile sector of sand oh, uh and then there's a mile sector to get out that's really sandy and then you have a seven mile flowy single track like whoops and jumps and little you know bridges super fun just awesome mountain biking but not too technical so you can really kind of enjoy the the frivolousness of that sector. Then not, not long after that, we literally get on a motocross track and wend our way zigzagging through berms and jumps um, and then back on a gravel road that has a steady climb. Um, and then it just sort of jumps back and forth between road and single track and gravel. There's that climb that I mentioned. And then at the end, there's a 4.4 mile very challenging mountain bike, single track that you have to pay attention to the entire time. And it will seem like forever to get to the end, but it's magnificent. Uh, it offers great views and you're, you're going through the trees the entire time. It's just fantastic. Uh, I can't wait. I mean, that was a, that it was a, it was a bit of a teaser. I feel like, um, and there's more to that course now that you're talking about it than I, I think I initially thought. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. John, you, you have done Cedar city. Have you not? Yeah, I did it. I did it last year. Do you have any, yeah. any words of, uh, um, you know, encouragement or <laughs> any, anything yeah. that you can tell me? Well, just like some of the other, uh, BWRs and, and, and races, you know, of this size, you just got to find that good group. And 
and work to stay with that group, like earn your keep and don't stay on the front too much, but definitely earn your keep and, and stay with that group. Uh, that's what I would recommend. You know, don't waste time attacking needlessly. Uh, what's unique about the Utah one is, is uh, if you can find that good group, stick with them for that first 100 miles, absolutely. And if you have gas in the tank, when you get to that first climb, it, it, that would be the move to make there. The last climb. Yeah, I would say I didn't mention the headwind. So <laughs> the prevailing headwind, uh, to John's point, is um, in the middle of the race to about a mile 100, you're really going to want to be with a group, even if that means waiting for people that you've dropped, because that wind and that crosswind really requires you to have some company. Oh, sure. And as John says, earn your keep, be a part of that group, contribute, keep everyone motivated but realize you're going to need that shelter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, this, this is a perfect time to talk about what really makes the BWR different. What really separates BWR from other events, uh, especially for folks in, in our area, Trevor, that haven't been able to, to venture out to some of these other events, like in North Carolina and San Diego, these uh, feed zones, these aid stations, when you get to them, you're going to want to take advantage of them. Um, and there's going to be one roughly every 20 miles. Um, and uh, when you get there, you're not just going to get a cup of water, but there's going to be, especially for the first couple, there'll be full water bottles, you know, there for you to be able to swap out with. There'll be all the food uh, that you need. You're going to want to bring your own gels, obviously, keep some insurance with you, but there's going to be plenty of options for you to be able to take advantage of and fuel up. And especially when you get to those, those benchmarks of 80 miles and a hundred miles, even though you might feel good, like, Hey, I'm going to save time. I, I think you'll be faster. If you stop, you get off the bike and you spend a few minutes getting some fuel in you and hydrating and take advantage of these uh, really, really good aid stations before you uh, continue on. Yeah. John, thank you for uh, mentioning that because Michael, you you mentioned the the aid stations and um, and I kind of moved on, but that's yeah. Thank you for I, and and yeah, I experienced that in at the North Carolina event, and I mean that some of the there were there were multiple aid stations and they were well stocked, and yeah, I think it's uh, I mean you can probably you know have a huge hydration vest and uh bag and and you know stuff yourself with all these things but it's not necessary and like you're no. saying um um and maybe especially on on a, a climby course it's probably better to be, stay a little more lightweight and then take advantage of the aid stations but um that's that is a good thing to know if you are going to take on one of these events know that you will be supported um throughout um the whole event and and I and I love the um, that's that's what's really cool about the BWR model is there is a there is a specific experience that you're bringing to a another specific unique experience. So you can it if you want to um, know what the BWR is or or be a part of that. Now there are multiple ways to do that. But then, or if you really dig the BWR thing, now you can experience that very thing multiple different ways. 
Um, oh. So I, I think it's it's cool that you're bringing your unique brand to unique places. Yeah. It's like enjoying beer or tacos. You know, you don't want to just drink and eat the same thing all the time. You want to do a twist on all these things. <laughs> Actually, I yeah, beer and tacos sound pretty good. It's almost lunchtime for us, John. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Um, yeah, I'm excited for um, to see what this is going to look like in Michigan. I'm super excited to experience my first BW, well, my first Utah BWR, um, Cedar City. Uh, oh, the one thing you didn't mention about Cedar City what's the what's the starting elevation? I mean, we're kind yeah. of at elevation, right? Yeah, yeah, it's you know, <laughs> you're kind of up at six thousand feet, so you're already kind of sucking wind. Maybe it's 5,500, but it, you know, gets up a fair bit higher towards the end. So yeah, you constantly, there's, you're aware of the elevation while you're riding. I'm, I might be at 80 feet right now, maybe 20. I'm in the, my, the second story of my house. So uh, maybe 25 feet. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm at about 12 feet. Yeah. <laughs> so th- <laughs> that'll be, I think a big challenge for, um, for myself and many other people that are coming into um, that race. One question I had, speaking of the different, the different locations, is there going to be a, a push to keep San Diego as the flagship race? And is there going to be, is there, are you going to, do you put more attention to the San Diego race or will you, as it keeps growing or are you going to try to, to, um, I don't know, have each one be its own unique thing. You know, San Diego is just the first one. It's the OG and um, it's unwieldy, right? There's a lot of people um, and typically it's the first event of the year. So we spend those those winter and spring months planning for it. Um, but no, the idea is to build each BWR um, as a, an attractive location, attractive venue to go and experience a different way, to your point, to experience the BWR. We want each of those events to, to organically grow by way of people saying, you got to come and do this. It's so beautiful, or it's so hard, or it's so fun. Um, each, one, each one of the events, we tend to nurture the same way. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um... Yeah, is there anything else that we can we can talk about, uh, John? What am I missing here? Like, is I it's feel like we've we've done a great job kind of talking through the model of BWR and the different events, and um, got the history from you, Michael, which was which was fantastic. John, is there anything I'm missing here? No, I think getting all of the uh, the history about everything and 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 uh, how everything's kind of unfolded is really cool, and I think people appreciate that. Um, I think it's also good time to remind folks to come and sign up now you know putting on a belgian waffle ride here in michigan it requires a big it's a big production and um and so that's why we're really trying to push folks to uh to register now uh and uh there's a discount code discount code michigander michigander yeah that way by september 1st we have enough visibility on what the total uh, race participant number will be. And then we can plan for that more adequately in terms of 
the amount of personnel that we bring, the different um, support elements that go into it, it requires us to have an understanding of how many people we're serving. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and then another thing to bring up too is uh, just to remind folks that that this is a whole weekend of festivities. The Belgian Waffle Ride in Michigan is the highlight event. Um, we are going to have a multi-lap uh, cross-country race that we talked about before. Yep. That's the Black Chili. And uh, another thing that is being announced this week, um, registrations open for it, is the uh, the Dirty Des X, which is a uh, multi-lap uh gravel running event that's going to be at mount holiday too and that's going to be uh co-sponsored with uh boston marathon champion des linden oh that is very cool i was I've, of course des i mean <laughs> it makes a lot of sense i was hoping that that's what that uh was referring to so very very cool um yeah, she's originally from san diego too right that is that is a great tie-in absolutely yeah um so uh, one more question. I had this from the very beginning. I wrote it down and I never got to it. Um, you you were using the term faux pave. Is that something you guys invented just for Belgian Waffle Ride? I, I did, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to replicate Perry roubaix yeah. in San Diego. We don't have pave, but we have faux pave, which to us is like really hard gravel or single track. Yeah. That's I, I love that. That's great. <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm pulling you from getting your, your, your riding in this morning probably, but I think this is a, a helpful conversation for people in Michigan to hear or people from um, all over to hear about how Belgian waffle ride can fit into their local community or um, what these other um events as you keep growing as a brand what that can bring like all all over the world right now it seems like so um thank you for for this for the history and thank you john for putting this together for for us and um and talking more about a little bit more about the michigan race as well yeah thanks for having us trevor uh the other thing we'd like to mention too is uh announcement of our official bike sponsor 3t uh, out of Toronto. Uh, so they're going to be, uh, a big feature at our, uh, bike festival as well. Oh, fantastic. Wow. Good stuff. Um, thank you. That's it. So I think, uh, I think we'll go, um, get some, some waffles and, uh, I'm going to smash a big beer and then go ride my bike. <laughs> I love it. Thanks Trevor. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast, email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. A huge thank you to Michael Marks for joining us and sharing all about Belgian Waffle Ride on this episode. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.